Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And providing your daily reminder that Wu-Tang indeed is for the children. What? I'm Nick Saberi. What? That is, clip that out, Tim Meehan. Uh, on the program today, uh, ladies, Lindsey Graham has an idea for you and your reproductive rights. And really, who better than Lindsey Graham to explain the female anatomy? Uh, Nick and I will explain. <laughs> Plus, later on in the program, political correspondent over at the Texas Tribune, uh, Patrick Svitek, is going to join us to discuss the upcoming midterm races happening in the state of Texas. Plus, the Texas Tribune is having a great festival upcoming next week with a pretty heavy lineup. More on that later on in the program. And in our last segment, a feel-good story out of Canada with a little bit of a twist. More on that later on in the show. Uh, Some housekeeping notes first. Obviously, October 27th, come on down. Come on down, excuse me, to City Tap House out in D.C. between 5 to 7 p.m., is our live show over there in the private area. If you live in the Washington, D.C. area, or DMV as they call it, come on down and meet Nick and I and listen to some fantastic guests that are going to be on the program that day. Another housekeeping note, our own Nick Saveri will be on an education podcast. Nick, why don't you tell the people out there where they can listen to you uh, in terms of your education knowledge? Thank you, Mike. Yeah, uh, excited to rejoin the Unprofessional Development Podcast. I was with those folks a couple of months back. Uh, just had a fun day with them. We, I think we did a audio drama. Not, I think we did. <laughs> so you got to hear me do that. Um, but this is just going to be a panel discussion, Mike. As you and I text often, there are so many conversations in education that could be happening. So I'm excited to be back on with that show once again. Unprofessional Development. Your favorite co-host, Nick Saveri, joining that Saturday for the show. And then once it's released, of course, we'll get a chance to celebrate it. So excited to do that. That'll be Saturday morning. 
That's awesome. Yeah. And whenever that's released, go check them out. I know they have a big, a pretty decent following over on social media. I remember listening to one of the episodes you were previously on. So pretty cool stuff there. How's everything else besides that? Our Raiders are 0-1. Derek Carr uh, stinks. Uh, but other than that, uh, I don't want to lose the people that don't watch sports or the <laughs> NFL. Um, how's everything else going over there in, in Easton? It's good. Yeah. No, Mike, you and I are old enough. We got enough going on. You know, as I say to you all time, you know, the Raiders will stink, but we don't. <laughs> so life moves on. We'll we'll see how things go with Arizona this week. Uh, no, but life is good. Like again, I mean, we're just geared up for DC. My wife and I talk all the time. We've now got we've now finalized a restaurant that we're going to on Friday night. She's been combing all the, the DC hot spots. So we're excited to get that going and nice. um just moving forward. How about yeah. you all? All, all is good, man. You know, I wanted to, um, we, we got back from the cruise. We had a really fun time out there in the Bahamas. Shout out to the folks of Royal Caribbean. And if they want to pay us to promote them, I will happily do that. We'll take that check over. Um, but in all seriousness, um, good time on the cruise, you know, felt really, uh, really secure in terms of like our room and like, you know, the amenities that we had, we got really well taken care of over there. Uh, so shout out to everybody at Royal Caribbean. We actually met somebody that's on the CDC advisory committee for Royal Caribbean on the cruise lines. It was pretty funny. Uh, so the conversations there um, and shout out to Denise. She, I know she's now a listener of the program. So got the chance to talk to her. But one thing I did want to mention is we've gotten a lot of feedback, some funny. Uh, you can follow our Twitter handle, social media, IG, TikTok at Can We Please Talk podcast uh, on Twitter at Can We Please Talk. Leave out the E in please. But um, some people are not happy with our, our, our recent cl uh, clip that our, our producer, Tim Meehan, put up about the conversation about, yeah, about how to deal with your MAGA friends. I actually had, and I want to shout out uh, this person. I'm not going to give his full name, but uh, Tommy, one of my one of my friends from college. Uh, if you're listening to the show, Tommy, um, and he wrote something on the IG page, uh, we still talk. Uh, you're not MAGA. I mean, I don't believe you are, but I wanted to define this real quick before we get into our first segment uh, and talk about what Senator Graham's uh, um, proposing, because some people would say that lives in the MAGA universe. I'm more talking about the shirt wearers, right? The Trump is your president. And if you don't like me, blah, 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 right? I'm talking about the ones that think January 6th was just a dust up, you know, like the Jack the Real comment. I'm talking about the ones that uh, don't believe that what happened in the lead up to January 6th and the peaceful transfer of power is is like not a real thing, right? Like, like it's not that big a deal how close democracy came to being toppled. And I and I and the people that live within the ethos of listening to the former president, going to rallies, I'm I'm more or less talking about those people. It's a, I, I truly believe this, it's a faction because the crowds that used to be at his rallies are smaller now, right? That's just, that's not Mike Leon's facts, Nick Savary's facts. That's just the venue sizes that they're choosing and the amount of people that are showing up and the people that are there that are either ticket takers or either reporters that are covering it. They're like, this is smaller than the ones that I've been to that he has had. So I look at it from that vantage point of like, it's a siphon of that audience, not necessarily the entirety of the Republican Party, similar to what the president said, right? I know that I've worked with mainstream Republicans. A lot of them don't believe this. We've had a bunch on this show that don't believe that stuff, right? They believe in the Republican Party overall. Sure. You, you're allowed to be conservative. I mentioned that all the time. But the MAGA ones to me are, and you tell me if I'm wrong, Nick, or how you feel about it. The MAGA ones to me are the shirt wearers, the ones that, you know, the patriots 
they use the buzzwords. January January sixth, not a real thing. I I think of MAGA. I think of Marjorie Taylor Greene. I think of Lauren Boebert. I think of Louis Gomer. In terms of you know congressional folks, Jim Jordan. I think of people in that uh, ethos. I don't think of like Pat Toomey in your state, who's a Republican. You think of him as MAGA. I don't. So like I wanted to make that distinction because uh, if you live in my life and you wear the shirts and you think January 6th and this, those are the people I don't talk to or associate with. I still talk to people that are Republicans. That's not an issue. So I, I wanted to get your take because we got a lot of comments from different people. And I, 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 I'm not going to mention some that happened on here, but the one on Twitter that you and I, somebody told us to, you know, eat a bag of, you know, what's, and uh, you can go check out that comment on Twitter and our responses. But Nick, what were some of your, did anybody get view any responses or, or what do you even think about what I just said about the, the definition of what it means to be MAGA. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I, I'm, w I'm with you on that. The, I do like you recognize the difference between, you know, Republicans in the sense of party policy. Um, again, the challenge of the party is that you have way too many of them, you know, for example, like the speaker of the house or former speaker of the house, you know, Kevin McCarthy, who will not dissociate themselves, do not see the, the need for change. Then you have on the other side, folks like Mitch McConnell, who will not give voice to it, but basically it's indicated in every form, which way or otherwise, that there is a separation. Um, but all that being said, I, I agree with you. I think there's a way to distinguish that. Uh, I think about for me, you know, the person I was thinking of who definitely has given that tendency of, of being very Trump supportive now um, as folks that I'm not really going to connect with. And, and it, for me, it goes deeper than that. It, it's a values thing. It's right. about January 6th. It's about the fact that this is a candidate who, who, was a, who is a racist and, tra and trafficked on that. And I cannot stress this enough, is basically lying about much of it. Mike, we just saw recently Mike Lindell, the, you know, the, my pillow guy, uh, had his phone confiscated by the FBI. Then goes on to say that this is ridiculous and what's going on. And and the same talking points, he said, were parroted then by Trump on Truth Social. It's very funny. People tend to screen grab the crazy things he says and then puts it on the mainstream media, right. which is signal boosting. I don't know what you're all thinking, but OK. You know, folks like that are, are just disingenuous. Like, I'm, I'm still stunned because I do think the voters who are supportive of these candidates, and we're seeing a lot of them, um, you know, showing up in some of these polls in the in primary season are just be are running behind people who don't necessarily subscribe to this right. and a really good example is the person we're about to dive into in Lindsey Graham. Yeah, no, perfect segue. Uh, because I wanted to make that distinction because I, I was, I was having this discussion with my wife and I'm like, I'm not sure if I conveyed that in our previous episode, but I, I truly do think that there is a distinction, but let's get into our first segment. Like you mentioned, Lindsey Graham, ladies, he's got a fantastic plan for you out there. If you're listening, we've talked about abortion and abortion rights and reproductive rights for women ad nauseum with a couple different reporters in the space and Kate Smith over at Planned Parenthood and what they're doing now that the different states have enacted legislation. But Lindsey Graham has a different idea. He's introduced legislation with the support of several prominent anti-abortion right groups, such as the National Right to Life Committee, March for Life, and the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America group. Uh, they are pushing for a federal mandate at 15-week abortion ban. Take a listen to a little bit of the highlights from this press conference. We have charts. Shows you how serious we are. 15 weeks. A baby's at the 15-week period. What does that mean? Well, it means if you're going to operate on the baby, which happens to save the child's life, 
to provide medical treatment, the standard practice in medicine is to provide anesthesia. Now, why would you do that? You provide anesthesia because the science tells us at the 15-week period, the nerve endings of the baby are pretty well developed in the and the child feels pain. So here's our point, that if you have to provide anesthesia to keep the baby from feeling pain to help save its life, should we as a nation be aborting babies that can feel excruciating pain from an abortion? I picked 15 weeks, which is a little longer than Belgium, Germany, and Spain, longer than France, Denmark, and Norway. Now, why did I do that? Because I feel comfortable at 15 weeks, the science tells us that the nerve endings are developed to the point that the unborn child feels pain. So the theory of the case here is not to be like Europe so much, is to have a standard in America that would prohibit abortions uh, during the birthing process at a stage where it's pretty clear from the science and most of the world, uh, this should be a no-go. You heard a little bit of the presser there. You can go check it out online if you want. Uh, but a lot of people, not only uh, on the Democratic side of the aisle, but on the Republican side of the aisle, are trying to d distance themselves from uh, Senator Graham doing this. A lot of Republicans, this is according to NBC News, see the bill as a distraction that divides the GOP even further and reminds voters that most of them see the party as too extreme on abortion. Uh, in this article on NBC News, Chris Matola, GOP strategist, said this is a bad move. Uh, it rips open a political sore. The political environment was moving back to economic issues. It further nationalizes an issue that works against Republicans generally. Uh, I'm not sure why Lindsey Graham has decided to take this step, but I know somebody who's not thrilled about it, and that's Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell out of Kentucky. He said yesterday to reporters, I was going to play the clip, but I, I'd rather read it here for you. Most of the members of my conference prefer that these this be dealt with at the state level always been like that, right? Deal with it at the state level, reverse Roe v. Wade, take it back to the states and let the states decide how they want to, uh, you know, uh, govern this issue. And we've seen a bunch of Republican led states do abortion bans, no exceptions, the different weak terms. Uh, but for some reason, Lindsey Graham has decided to buck the trend and go against his party and introduce a federal nationwide ban. And you texted me, did, did a Democrat pay him to do this? Like, why is he doing this? So let me get some of your takeaways on this, because before I let you go, um, vast majority, we've said this a bunch of times, of Americans don't want abortion bans. This was according to Forbes uh, a few months, actually about a month ago, where about only a quarter of Americans really wanted their state to ban abortion. This was after the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. About 25% of the 1,847 U.S. adults polled in this survey said that they wanted laws in their state to ban abortion. 61% would prefer their state guarantee abortion access. And that included just 32% of the respondents who live in the states with abortion that had trigger laws already on the books or pre-Roe v. Wade abortion bans still on the books, similar to like what Michigan has. And 51% would prefer their state enacted legal protections for the abortion instead. So with all of that, all of those stats and insights, data, you know, I work in stats and insights and data. I'm curious uh, on, on Lindsey Graham kind of bucking the trend here, the presser overall. Give me some of your takeaways on this. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and speculate here that, you know, Graham, there's two reasons here to do this. One is he believes there is a way to find a middle ground. 
you know, something he's talked about is, you know, when you bring it up as terms of 15 weeks, this is something that, you know, they're seeing in other spaces. Um, it could be a losing issue for Democrats because at 15 weeks, you know, what percentage of Americans, you know, would be sympathetic to it. And Mike, as you just, you know, just shared there, the numbers don't bear out. Um, the second thing I think that this is bringing up is the fact that there's a lot of what about meism going on here with Lindsey Graham. You know, we've seen, obviously, as the Senate Minority Leader, you know, Mitch McConnell is a very prominent player in the party and has most recently been very vocal about the type of candidates that at the House level, the Senate level that are running um, in these primaries and who are going to be going up against Democratic challengers in the fall and what that completely changes in terms of the forecast politically. And there's Lindsey Graham wondering, well, where where's the cut for me? You know, where's my opportunity to shine here? Um, because Graham is not one to run away from the spotlight. That That's him. We saw that famously going from uh, being against the nomination of Donald Trump to then becoming the former president's biggest supporter. All this is is Graham's narrative. Like this is this is some look at me, Louis stuff. Shout out to Amin Elhassan, who's coined that phrase, too. Um, so that's that's what that feels like. This is just his moment to shine. But the funny part is. You know, we've done this segment before about read the room, right? And you know, you would think after what happened in Kansas and recently what just happened in Michigan, that that vote now is going to the state in, in November. That's on the ballot. Um, there is nowhere where there's not some form of a challenge or some kind of electoral pushback that's being indicated by voters saying that this is not what they want. Again, Mike. Like you'd think that the numbers you you found right that you shared are something that Republicans would be looking at, and it seems like some are, like Mitch McConnell, but not Lindsey Graham. Right now, he is in the spotlight, and foolishly, what did he say? Well, we have charts that so we can tell we're taking it seriously. Like right. you sound like a bozo. Yeah, I mean, and, it's, and the party's just distancing themselves. It's it's funny. My wife was mentioning to me that a lot of Republicans have scrubbed their websites. Uh, in terms of this, to try to distance themselves from it, it's like the one thing to not touch right now, especially like you mentioned, after some of these things have been on the ballot in a couple of states. I mean, even Brian Kemp, Governor Brian Kemp, came out um, and he said, trust me, Republicans want to be talking economy and Biden. We don't want this debate. This doesn't help. I mean, a bunch of top Republican strategists have been mentioning that this literally makes no sense, the timing of it. And again, voters have short minds and attention spans. In the next segment, we're actually going to talk to a political correspondent down in a key state that's having a bunch of you know midterm races. So we'll get a kind of feel of how voters are reacting on this. But one more point for Mr. Savary, yes, on this front, because I, I, th I think this is just the timing of it is very weird. I, I think the thing that really drives me crazy here, too, is here is a Republican senator pushing forward a national bill you know, wanting to make this a federal law. And you've literally had the party saying that the key about Roe versus Wade was to let it go back to the states. And here's this guy coming forward saying, no, let's kick this back to Congress. We can make this happen. What Graham is calculating is that they want the they want the argument. They he wants it on the floor for Democrats to voice in opposition to a 50, to a ban on abortions post 15 weeks. He thinks in his head, stupidly, that Democrats owning that will somehow lose them some districts. And at this point, it's the suburbs and potentially women. And it's a gross miscalculation. And it's stunning that you'd see two of the top leaders in the party between him and McConnell 
just absolutely there's a, just a chasm that's growing. And right. it just it's it just it's offensive to me, especially in the fact that the Republican Party likes to always be the party of states' rights. That's the way they've been since the civil rights passing in 1964. That's they, that's what they run on, right? Now on this one, you want something done at the national level, not on guns, not, not on a multitude of things, but on this one, let's make this a, the law of the land. It right. would never pass and is a foolish endeavor. Well, we're going to see how this plays out. And if it even makes it anywhere, again, we'll see how the makeups of the House and Senate look like after the November voting. Remember to exercise your right to vote. When we come back, speaking of voting, we're going to talk voting rights. We're going to talk different midterm races that are happening in the nation's, one of the nation's biggest states down in Texas. Patrick, uh, a political correspondent, Patrick Vitek from the Texas Tribune is going to be joining us when we come back after the break. Nick, the presenting sponsor of Can We Please Talk is Fresh Roasted Coffee. Since 2009, this Pennsylvania company has been making their passion of bringing you corn. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We make coffees from all over the world, roasted fresh to order in eco-friendly smart roasters. They're committed to quality, service, integrity, approachability, and sustainability I know you've ordered a few packs there. You're going to tell the people because we all know what a big coffee snob you are. I live the K-Cup life, and I've ordered some of the Colombian roast and the breakfast blend. It's delicious. Your take, sir, on Fresh Roasted Coffee, a Pennsylvania-based company for the man in eastern Pennsylvania who drinks coffee regularly. Yeah, Mike, that's right. You know, shop local, right? <laughs> As right. always. Uh, yeah, I just most recently bought the flavored coffee set, which is six different incredible flavors. That's on its way getting shipped. I had that just ground, you know, for when it gets here. Mike, one of my favorite parts is that they allow you to take a, not allow, what am I talking about here? They give you a quiz just to get a sense of your taste. You know, so I took that quiz. I got recommended Sumatra, you know, just a great single origin coffee. But in addition to that, Mike, they have a great section, just the learn section. If you go to their website, freshroastedcoffee.com, there's a just on when you click down, there's a learn section. For those of you who are not necessarily in the coffee game as deep as Mike and I are, you can learn everything from how to use your French press, how to use a Chemex. So they're, they're not just selling you coffee and tea, by the way, something That's very right. important. You know, a lot of places try to separate these two ancient beverages, not fresh, fresh roasted coffee. Nope. So they have a huge variety of tea as well. My wife's more of a tea drinker than a coffee drinker. So I'm going to be hooking her up, but Mike, it's an awesome company. So many things available on the website. Um, and I think that 
those who are listeners of the show can benefit from listening to us and purchasing from there, if I'm correct. That's right. Because all you got to do right now, if you're in our show notes page or whatever audio podcast platform you're listening to us, you click the link that's available right there. That link will have a special promo code discount applied to whatever you buy from freshroastedcoffee.com. Head to that link in our show notes page and get in on some of this great tasting coffee today. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. All right. Patrick Svitek is a fantastic political correspondent over at the Texas Tribune. He joins us here on the Can We Please Talk podcast. Patrick, Mike, Leon, Nick Savary, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, Patrick, I've been reading a lot of your work over at the Texas Tribune. I'm, I'm super interested in the state. Our producer lives in Austin. My sister lives in Colleen. So I'm very uh, warped, let's say, in, in the Texas politics and understanding a little bit of it. We've had other Texas correspondents coming on to talk about different issues that are happening down there. I feel like Texas is at the epicenter sometimes of some of this stuff. I want to get your takeaways real quick because we were just talking in the previous segment about the nationwide abortion ban that's being introduced by uh, Governor, uh, excuse me, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham out of South Carolina and the conference he just had. Obviously, Texas has one of the strictest uh, abortion laws, you know, uh, on the books. Um, Idaho has seen a challenge as well from the White House because of federal funding, which protected doctors from performing abortions. Um, what do you make of everything happening with respect to abortion and how it will be on the ballot uh, potentially in your state, are you hearing that from voters in some of your reporting uh, uh, in terms of abortion access and, and this being a pressing issue to want to turn out to go to the ballots uh, this November and vote for maybe Beto O'Rourke for governor? Well, as, as you pointed out, you know, or as you uh, inferred, you know, even before the overturning of Roe v. Wade, um, Texas was uh, instituting some of the strictest um, abortion restrictions in the nation. Um, you know, there was a, a near total ban that the governor signed into law before that Supreme Court ruling. And the legislature um, had already passed what they called a trigger law, um, you know, banning abortion in virtually all circumstances if Roe v. Wade um, were to be overturned. And so you have those two those two laws already um, in effect and, and leading to um, one of the most sweeping crackdown abortions in the country at the state level in Texas. As far as the, the politics are concerned, um, we have seen this issue kind of creep up the list of issues that voters uh, consider the most important issue as it relates to the November election. There was actually um, just a poll that came out uh, this morning, Wednesday morning, um, that showed that abortion has you know, risen to being, I think, the third or fourth most important issue that voters name as it relates to the uh, November election in Texas. Um, and so, you know, it is clearly playing into the political landscape here. And it's something that Republicans, um, you know, do not want to talk about because the polling is, is pretty bad for them on this. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of different ways you can gauge 
public opinion um, on abortion. But, you know, just to sum it up, all the polling I see of of Texas voters uh, show that they disagree with the current uh, land, you know, legal landscape in Texas, um, you know, often by wide margins. Um, And so, you know, Republicans are trying to campaign on other issues, trying to change the topic from this. They would much rather talk about the economy, much rather talk about the the border um, because they know that it is it is a real tough issue for them right now politically. Patrick, most recent polling shows that Governor Abbott's about five points ahead of Beto O'Rourke. That's currently, I think, from the I think from actually Texas Tribune had reported that about ten hours ago. Um, you know, with what we're seeing, I know recently you wrote a story involving um, looks about I think about six million dollars being sent to a campaign um, from could have been worse LLC, which is a great name for a company. Um, what's going on with? What you know, and the way it was talked about is like dark money, like money that's not accounted for. From your reporting, like what's being made of that um, between that polling data, does Abbott's campaign continue to look as strong? Beto closing the gap. Like, what's your read of it as we're about to head into October? Yeah, that that group is really interesting because in uh, about eight years covering Texas politics, I've never seen that kind of advertising. Um, from that kind of entity in a statewide race um, on that scale. And so having a, a dark money group like that come into a statewide race is pretty, and spend that much money or reserve that much TV time is, is pretty unheard of in Texas politics. The, the ad that they're running, or at least that they're initially running, is, is really interesting uh, because it really seems to get at the kind of dour mood that Texans are in right now. I mean, we started seeing in polling, um, you know, uh, several months ago that, you know, in some polls for the first time in their history, more Texans were saying the state was on the wrong track than the right track, um, which is pretty unusual. You know, even if Texans disagree with the decisions by their elected leaders, they tend to think things are going okay in Texas, that the economy is humming along, that they're personally um, doing well. And so having the right track, wrong track, upside down in Texas is a pretty unusual situation. And if you look at the advertising that this group is running, they're basically just rattling off all the kind of calamitous events that have happened in Texas um, in the past, mostly in the past two years under Governor Abbott and laying them uh, at his feet. You know, so the, the advertising just, you know, talks about um, for example, the schools, the school shootings that we've had, you know, most recently the Uvalde school shooting talks about the power grid collapse in 2021, um, you know, and it talks about some things that are, um, you know, a little more up for debate politically, like what they call stunts at the border. But clearly the advertising is trying to appeal to that voter who feels like the state is on the wrong track for the first time in a, in a long time and obviously connect that to the, the leadership of Greg Abbott. And so it's a very interesting effort because of, again, the, the fact that it is it is uh, undisclosed money, at least so far. And that's unusual for a statewide race in Texas. Uh, and then also interesting just because of the messaging, which, again, seems to really try to um, appeal to those voters who even Republicans who feel like the state is just not on the right track after years of being on the right track. You know, Patrick, I'm so glad that you kind of made a segue there about, you know, like some issues that are potentially publicity stunt wise. And I want to get into one here because a while back we had Lauren Villagrand on from the El Paso Times. And at the time, this is when Governor Abbott and now Governor Ducey as well from Arizona 
had started busing migrants over to D.C. And when we talked with her at the time, she mentioned, look, from a logistics standpoint, there are a lot of migrants that are sent to big transportation hubs, right, to be able to go to other places where their family lives or, you know, relatives while they wait out their hearings. Now, the mainstream media, I hate using that term as somebody who's worked in the mainstream media. Um, now, the mainstream media is picking up on this and we're seeing a lot of stories uh, being generated around these buses from Texas and Arizona coming to D.C. And, and, and these different migrants being sent in different directions from that transportation hub. I want to get your take as somebody living, covering down there uh, and everything that's happening with the border. Is this overblown nationally? Are we just overblowing this? Is this a publicity stunt? What's your read on it in terms of like what Governor Abbott has instituted policy wise to send these migrants to D.C.? Well, I think it's it's clearly a, a political stunt. I, I don't think even Governor I don't think Governor Abbott would use that term, but I think that he would concede that he's trying to make a political point here um, by offering these bus rides to these migrants to Democratic held cities. Um, so I, I don't think there's any real dispute over whether it's political or not. I, you know, again, maybe Governor Abbott would use that term, but I think he would he would say he's trying to make a point. Um, and so I think Texans understand that there is a, you know, there is a stunt aspect to this. Um, but at the same time, it, it is true that these uh, communities along the Texas-Mexico border um, have been, you know, really stretched thin and overwhelmed um, by the amount of uh, immigration, um, just migration that they've, they've been dealing with and that they have not had the you know, we've heard from uh, elected officials in these border communities from, from both parties, um, you know, who are, you know, talking about how overwhelmed they have been. Um, and I think even, you know, there is there are certain elected officials who are feel conflicted. Uh, they obviously, you know, especially the Democrats want to be welcoming of migrants who are, you know, the overwhelming majority. Um, we understand to be coming to America to, to seek a better life. Um, but at the same time, they have to govern these communities um, and they have a limited budget, limited number of resources. And so Abbott is, is you know, obviously trying to um, make the point that, um, you know, these Democratic led much larger cities um, are not willing or interested or able um, to deal with a fraction of the kind of, um, you know, migrant influx at some of these communities along the border. Um, are, are dealing with. So um, so I guess to, to sum it up, I would say I think few people disagree that it's a political stunt, but I, I do think there is a, um, a legitimate issue um, that, you know, that political stunt is trying to uh, get at. Patrick, when we, you mentioned before about Klamath, which is a good way, I think, to describe Governor Abbott's uh, this tenure this time around. Um, we had recently on Matthew Brown, the Washington Post, talking about Georgia. And what had been noticed recently was that polling data is telling us that at the state level, there's more support leaning toward Brian Kemp. But at the at the Senate level, Warnock, Senator, Senator Warnock starting to pull ahead, you know, from uh, Herschel Walker in Texas. When we think about Uvalde, you know, the most recently another shooting actually uh, over the past weekend, um, the power grid, you know, we're seeing just a series of things that have taken place in the state are all those being laid at the feet at the state level at only at governor abbott or are federal at the federal level republicans also feeling some political blowback for those for uh, for what's for what's been going on for those events that you talked about the, the power grid issues um uvalde 
um, you know, uh, Abbott is, is the face of them. And, and that's actually why I think they are, in some cases, they are such tough issues for Abbott because he has to own them. Um, it's, it's, he can't really, for example, when it comes to the power grid, Texas has operated, most of Texas has operated off the national power grid. You can't um, blame Joe Biden or a Democratic Congress for what happened to the power grid in Texas in 2021. It is an issue um, that, unfortunately, in terms of the politics, that Abbott, you know, there's no scapegoat uh, outside of Texas for that. And so that's why I think it's, you know, the power grid in particular is a tough issue for him is because it really, it is at his feet. Um, and then also this, the school shooting in Uvalde, I think, is 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 similar. Um, it is it is hard uh, to, to, you know, uh, escape blame for that. I think Uvalde is a little different in that you do have the botched law enforcement response. So Abbott is, um, you know, able somewhat credibly to talk about that versus maybe, you know, his own deficiencies in leadership. But those are those are two issues where Abbott is, is definitely the face uh, of the, the tragedy in some ways. And when it comes to guns, you know, just to go back to the polling, we consistently see that Texas voters do want stricter gun laws. And so like abortion, that's another issue where he is so far, based on all the polling I've seen, where he is on the, the wrong side of, of public opinion. You know, Patrick, uh, I wanted to ask you, I, I heard this on another podcast, another political podcast where they were interviewing uh, Beto and they were asking him what's different this time around in the governor's run versus the Senate run. And one of the things that he talked about was some of the places that he's been traveling to within the state to actually meet with voters, right? Not only undecided independent ones, if there are ones in Texas, but those really true conservative ones that do want an emphasis on stricter gun control, uh, gun reform in the state. Um, what is some of your read on Beto's campaign? And do you see something different? I know we asked you already about how you see this maybe shaking out, but where do you see it netting out in November? Is is Beto closing the gap or is, is there real traction potentially for the first time to have a Democratic governor in a long time? Or is this just smoke but no fire? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, and the flip side of my previous answer uh, or previous answers where I talked about how Abbott is the, on the wrong side of public opinion when it comes to uh, guns and abortion. Um, you know, I should note, I guess, as far as the issues are concerned, you know, O'Rourke's biggest challenge is that despite the fact that voters have become more focused on abortion and guns in Texas due to these recent events, we still see polling that shows that their 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 higher concerns are the economy, the state economy, um, and, and the border slash immigration. And polls consistently give Abbott an edge on those. And so it really is a battle on these issues between the two of them um, in terms of the issue salience and who has the advantage on those issues. And so that is, you know, like Abbott has challenges on abortion and guns, but work definitely has challenges um, on the economy and the border, at least according to the polling. Um, when it comes to what O'Rourke is doing different this time, I, I'd say the number one difference is he's actually offering a clear contrast with his opponent. Um, I don't know how closely you followed his race against Ted Cruz in 2018, but he largely declined to criticize Cruz, largely declined to offer a contrast. Um, he aired some attack ads at the end of the race, but I think most people agree it was it was too little, too late. And so what we've seen this time around from O'Rourke is he you know, came out of the gate offering uh, very uh, clear contrast with Abbott. And so to me, that's the biggest difference is he's actually 
defining the choice for voters in a way that he did not do in 2018. As far as him going to rural communities, you know, to me, that's not a huge difference. Um, you know, he did that in 2018. He's doing it again this time. Um, you know, to me, the big difference is he's, he's, he's better known in these rural communities. So he gets larger crowds. Um, but there's also, you know, there's also a, a flip side to that in that he is, you know, not a fresh entity to some of these places where there may have been undecided voters in the past and that he's been the Republican boogeyman now in Texas for um, a solid four years. And so his image in some of these rural communities and just statewide is a little more stubborn. He's, um, you know, a little better defined. And so I think there are pluses and minuses that go with that. I mean, running statewide in Texas, that is that is always, um, you know, kind of the catch 22 is that you want to work, you have to work really hard to become known statewide. Uh, but usually by the time you get to that point, um, you know, your opposition has uh, criticized you quite a bit. And so your image may be a little banged up. And I think that's where our work is at right now. Patrick, you know, last Democrat governor of Texas was Ann Richards, you know, before losing to George W. Bush, um, you know, from what in your assessment of of Beto and, and Texas Democrats in general, what do they need to be able to do to bring bring forth that type of energy, you know, from a previous Democrat governor? Because I mean, historically, you would think Texas and you wouldn't think that it wasn't that removed that there was a governor uh, who was a Democrat in Texas. But in comparison, as you just mentioned, the comparison between Beto 2018 versus this candidate version now, what hope does he have to to reach out to voters beyond the major cities, obviously, of um, Austin, Houston, San Antonio and the like, but in order to be able to bring together more folks um, in the in the part in the as the Democratic Party goes, what you what would be your sense as far as like the shifts that the Democrats have to make? Yeah, I think what O'Rourke needs to do is um, a combination of, of two different trains of thought. I mean, he needs to bring in new Democratic voters, young people, uh, people of color who don't traditionally turn out in elections. And he, and he needs to change some minds. I mean, we just we just had a big story about rural Texas and how it has been the saving grace for Republicans in statewide elections for so long. And even though the population of rural Texas is dwindling and every statewide election, it seems to make up you know, less and less of the total vote. It is still just a reliable bank of Republican votes and Democrats don't need to win those counties, but they got to do a lot better. Um, and so, and work knows that, I mean, you know, he has acknowledged as much his campaigning reflects that, that belief. And so I think, you know, the, the challenge before him and any other Texas Democrat is being able to change some minds, uh, especially in rural Texas, and then being able to expand, you know, expand the electorate by bringing in, uh, new voters, um, and not just bringing them in, but you know, not just getting them registered, but really energizing them to turn out in uh, in November. So, uh, you know, that's that to me is the the strategy here for Democratic statewide success. You know, last question as for candidates go. Um, you know, how did you explain Ted Cruz's con- presence in that party, and not party within the state? I. I fluster at this because Ted Cruz is a cartoon character, you know, and we've seen this throughout um, just his actions with the power grid going down and, you know, becoming fled Cruz, obviously. Um, You know, does Ted Cruz go the way of where Texas is going or does Texas represent a shift more toward being purple as opposed to a MAGA Republican like Ted Cruz being a representative of the state? 
Yeah, Cruz is an interesting figure in Texas politics. Uh, the, the polling shows us that he's, he's never been as, as disliked as the national narrative would suggest. I mean, even when he was in the fight of his life against Beto O'Rourke in 2018, you know, polling showed that, you know, he still had a split favorability rating sometimes. And so to, to, I, I would say that Texans, the polling shows that Texans, Texas voters at least, have always liked a little, Ted Cruz a little more than uh, what the national conversation may let on. Um, you know, why we could probably have a whole other uh, podcast on. And so, but I would just say that, you know, his reputation uh, in Texas is, is a, a little better and more liked than probably the national narrative lets on. But it is true that, you know, the Democratic baseline of performance in statewide elections in Texas is increasing. I mean, um, you know, Joe Biden lost Texas by six points or a little over five. I think it was a little under six in 2020. Um, you know, if the polling is right, Abbott may only win this uh, November election by mid single digits. And so the baseline for Democratic performance in Texas is creeping up. And Ted Cruz, you know, could be on the ballot or, or is set to be on the ballot again in 2024. And if he does run for reelection in Texas in 2024 on the current trajectory, I think it's going to be a really, really competitive race, regardless who runs against him. I think the fundamentals in, in Texas are changing to the point that by the time Cruz is on the ballot again in 24, even if it's not a, a strong candidate like Beto O'Rourke, he's still going to have to work really hard for it. And so that, that's how I kind of think about Cruz's uh, you know, political trajectory in Texas. Um, as you pointed out, he's obviously embraced the, the MAGA wing of the party, was one of the you know most visible um, pro-Trump senators on January 6th, for example, leading the charge, trying to overturn the election in the Senate. Um, so, you know, those are all things he's going to have to reckon with. And I think if he runs for election in 24, um, it's like I said, it's going to be a competitive race, even if he doesn't draw a, a strong Democratic talent like Beto O'Rourke. Patrick, uh, before we let you go, I, I'd be remiss. I, I mentioned it in the opening segment about the Texas Tribune having their 12th annual Texas Tribune Festival in Austin. Speaking of Senator Ted Cruz, he's scheduled to be there. There's a lot of prominent speakers added, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, Anthony Fauci, a Representative Liz Cheney, Pete Buttigieg. Uh, a lot of discussion about different issues that are not only on the ballot, maybe not in the state, but uh, uh, across national issues like women and reproductive rights, COVID-19, legislation on infrastructure. Can you take our audience a little bit about, uh, tell us a little bit about the Texas Tribune Festival and what you expect next week uh, in Austin? Yeah, this is the 12th annual uh, Texas Tribune Festival or Trip Fest, as we know it, happening the September 22nd through 24th in Austin. Um, we're back holding it in person after the pandemic. So we're really excited about that. Uh, got hundreds of speakers, literally hundreds of speakers. And my favorite part of it as a political reporter is it this, the speaking lineup spans the political spectrum. As you pointed out, Hillary Clinton's going to be there. Ted Cruz is going to be there. We obviously have more nonpartisan, uh, you know, policy experts and people involved in the government. As you pointed out, Anthony Fauci is probably a high profile example of that. But it, it is a great opportunity um, to get out, hear diverse perspectives and hear elected officials challenged. Um, you know, Ted Cruz has been at the Trip Fest before and he always has a, you know, there's always he always gets tough questions from the audience. 
and, you know, engages with the audience, engages with the interviewers. And so it's a great opportunity to see people from across the political spectrum face um, some some tough questions, which is, is always important in democracy. Yeah, I mean, the lineup is something I would love for a CWPT festival one day, Nick. Uh, we got to think about it. Eric Adams, Governor Newsom out of California. Glenn Youngkin, obviously, oh, from know Virginia. About Eric yeah, Adams. Yeah, all right, man. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out. We'll, we'll skim <laughs> okay. some of those folks out. Maybe Ted Cruz won't be a part of it. But yeah, Pat, yeah Patrick, uh, you're he's a fantastic reporter over at the Texas Tribune. Check out all the work that he does over on their site. Can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast today, Patrick, continue, continue success to you, sir. And please stay safe. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Nick, today's sponsor of the podcast is 800 florals. Nick, when was the last time you bought your, your wife, your beautiful wife, Laura, when was the last time you bought her flowers? No, it's not recent enough, man. Oh, see, there we go. Why, why? And how come let's, let's get into that. Forget the copy for a second. How come? <laughs> I mean, I buy all kinds of different gifts. Um, so, Flowers sometimes slips my mind. You know, we do have a rose bush in the back. So I'm like, you know, we got some pretty flowers coming in, but I don't make that intentional pursuit of it, though. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm looking to you for ideas, though, okay. where to go get them. Well, I have one. And folks, you should not copy Nick Zavera. You should be getting flowers for that special somebody that you love. And let me tell you a little bit about 800 Florals. There are roughly 20,000 professional florists in North America that design and deliver fresh flowers on a daily basis. 1-800-Florals is one of those been around for more than 20 years you can shop products occasions check out flower delivery you can even arrange a thoughtful gift of monthly flowers for that special someone you heard that nick so you can set on auto subscribe here and get monthly flowers delivered to laura's job and you'll be thought of highly over there now uh all you got to do is head to our show notes page right now to find out more about 800 florals there's a link in our show notes page it'll take you right to them use that link and you're going to get a special discount when you check out and buy those fresh flowers. Check out 800florals.com today. All right, our thank yous there for to Patrick Svitek. Uh, you can check out his work, like I mentioned, over at the Texas Tribune. They do, they do a great job. That festival, uh, real quick, and let me give you some of the speakers that's happening at that festival. He mentioned uh, September 22nd through the 24th, multi-day celebration, big, bold ideas about politics, Public policy and the day's news is is the central themes of that festival. Uh, more than 350 speakers are participating in more than 120 sessions over the three-day festival. I mentioned the issues that are going to be discussed in some of these panels, like he said, but women's reproductive rights, the political landscape in Texas and nationally, COVID-19, state of the economy, legislation on the infrastructure. We all know about what happened there in Texas, um, the technology and privacy, foreign policy and the current events unfolding in Russia and Ukraine. And then uh, uh, one of your favorite segments, Nick, uh, or topics, cryptocurrency and how it's affecting the stock market. I don't want to get your takeaways on that, please. Uh, but listen to the guest list. I, I mentioned some of the names. And we, uh, you know, Secretary uh, Hillary Clinton, former secretary, excuse me, Anthony Fauci, Liz Cheney, Pete Buttigieg, Jen Psaki, the former White House press secretary, Eric Adams, uh, Ga Gavin Newsom, the governor out of California, Glenn Youngkin from Virginia, uh, Asa Hutchinson from Arkansas, Beto O'Rourke, obviously will be there, Representative Adam Schiff, John Kasich, the former governor from Ohio. And you can register and learn more about this at tribefest.org. If you're interested in it, our producer, Tim Meehan, lives in Austin. So if he wants to go there, Tim, you're welcome to go there on LMN's Dime and uh, check out that festival. Uh, it is, it's truly jam-packed. I mean, there's a lot of speakers there. I, the one thing I didn't get a chance to ask Patrick, and I know he was traveling when he was doing the segment with us, um, the 
political discourse, right? Um, I'm all for that, but I've mentioned it before. I think Ted Cruz is disingenuous, right? Glenn Youngkin maybe is different um, in terms of certain things. I haven't really deep dived into him because I don't live in that state, but we've seen Ted Cruz and what he has said on his podcast. We've seen what he has tried to do as a, as a figure, not so much as a representative of a state. And we've had people on this show that have mentioned, you know, at, at John Boehner, you know, somebody that worked for John Boehner said that Ted Cruz, right? What is John Boehner's quote in his book, F. Ted Cruz, right? And it's because he realized this, like this wave of disingenuousness that Ted Cruz kind of brought with him when he came in, in 2010. So my, my initial takeaway is, is like, I like some of these speakers lined up and it doesn't matter again about R&D. It's more about fact fiction, right, wrong. If you live in the vortex of January 6th, you know, it was my duty to object to the electors and, and, you know, I, those people are political prisoners and stuff like that. Like, why is that person speaking at a conference where we're trying to have actual discourse about policy, right? Uh, what are some of your takeaways, uh, not only about the festival, because I think it's a great idea. Again, CWPT, one day, one day, but our DC show will be a smaller scale. Um, but what do you think about some of the things that that they're doing over at Texas Tribune, some of Patrick's work, the interview overall. What are some of your takeaways before we get into our last segment? Yeah, I first, you know, the Tribune does amazing reporting, you know, and as we do on this show, you know, we bring reports from all different media outlets, uh, especially in the newspaper space where I'm very passionate about. So uh, great job by him there. Uh, you know, what Patrick takes us through is just at both the state and the federal level, what is the perception of Texas, especially internally within the state and then externally? I really appreciate this point that, you know, our perception of Ted Cruz you know, from a national standpoint lives in a certain way. I use the word cartoonish and I'll stand by it because I do think um, he's an exaggerated version of who I think he is personally, uh, Ted Cruz, um, as evidenced by his just flip flop of not supporting Tr Donald Trump and then, you know, turning around supporting the man who, you know, besmirched your wife, but that's fine. Um, but internally in Texas, you know, Cruz holds up well, but especially where Patrick brings up the point is just the narrowing margin. It's funny. We're now talking about single digits, maybe half single digits between Beto O'Rourke and, um, you know, Governor Greg Abbott. And, but you could see that, you know, Patrick is resigned to the fact that it's still going to lean, you know, Republican, but he contributes to a story that we've seen from from Lauren Villagran, um, you know, Sabrina Rodriguez. Like we've had people talk about Texas and the constant thing we keep hearing is, you know, Texas feels like it's in play, maybe not so much in 2022, but over the next coming election cycles, the, the gap is lessening, you know, and I think that's the point that keep that continues to get brought up. But it also, you know, the Tribune Festival speaks to the fact that you know, Texas just carries a lot of weight in this country. You know, in the education space, obviously, what we know about what goes on with textbooks, but you know, all these folks coming to this event speaks to the value that Texas brings to the country. And I mean, for those of you who've been paying attention, you've had a lot of businesses in the Silicon Valley out in California start to move to Texas, cheaper land. That also means that the political persuasion of Texas will continue to shift. Uh, personally, for me, I have a I have a um, a couple, actually a family that uh, headed down to Texas. Uh, he they went down for his job. He's in the video game field, um, and they're in Austin. You know, to have them speak about their experience in Austin is sounds like it's just a, a great town. I mean, Tim's there too. I mean, Tim can obviously speak to it as well. The face of Texas continues to lean toward purplish tendencies. And uh, I think that's what Patrick is sort of helping was summarizing for us when he came on. 
Yeah, I got to be honest. If, if we if I wasn't shooting something next week, I, I would try to head down there for the festival because it sounds really interesting. And like I mentioned, you can head over Texas Tribune or Tribe.com like, it, like I mentioned before, whatever the URL website was there. And you can check out uh, more details about the festival there happening next week. Um, in our final segment here, something I wanted to share with you, Nick, a, a heartwarming story, but a little bit of a twist. There's a Canadian family right now that's taking a world tour with their three kids. And you would think that sounds great. I love that they're taking their kids out there and traveling the world. I just mentioned how I travel with my two kids to an island recently. Uh, but there's a reason why they're doing it. Take a listen to this. It yeah. took a pandemic, a war, everything for us to be here, but here we are. What would you do if you knew one day you would no longer be able to see? Probably see as much as you can before it all goes dark. That's exactly what a Quebec family is setting off to do. The Lemay-Pelsier family will be traveling the globe for a year so that their children can capture visual memories while they still can. She just happened to mention to sh oh, show, show them elephant and giraffes in books. And that's when we came up with the idea of saying, might as well go see them, the real thing. It all started with their eldest, Mia. They noticed she would walk into walls and furniture at night, as if she couldn't see in the dark. After consulting with a specialist and undergoing genetic testing, the result was shocking. It was retinitis pigmentosa. So you heard there in the clip there about the, oh boy, I want to pronounce the name, just like she said, but that was from a station in Quebec and the French-Canadian uh, slips my tongue here, but the, the Pelletier family and, Le, and Edith LeMay is the wife's name. Uh, their oldest daughter, they have four children, was diagnosed with this retinous pigmentosa, rare gene genetic condition that causes a loss or decline in vision over time. They've been married for 12 years and their two sons, who are now seven and five, uh, Colin and Laurent, were experiencing the same symptoms and their fears were confirmed after some testing. And so the parents decided to do something about it before the kids lose all vision. They've been posting photos online. Uh, you can check out CNN.com. Their travel section has a, a great feature on this with some of the photos that the family has been sharing uh, to the media outlets of the different trips. They, they recently went to Turkey to take the kids there. They've taken them to uh, uh, Nambia out in Africa, a bunch of different countries. And again, they live in Montreal, this family. And they've been to Tanzania, Mongolia, uh, Indonesia, where they currently, I think, are living now and residing. Uh, one quick snap before I get your takeaways on this, because this is a really sentimental issue. If you have kids, man, I mean, sight and uh, the ability to see um, one of the key five senses, man, I'd like... I heard the story and I was like, this is un unbelievable what the family's doing in, in such a, a unique circumstance, uh, as mentioned before about this rare condition, according to the National Eye Institute, which is part of the U U.S. National Institute of Health, uh, an agency of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, this condition, this retinous pigmentosa symptoms usually begins in childhood and most people eventually lose most of their sight. So to what varying degree the kids will lose their sight over time, who knows? Um, but that it's very rare uh, in terms of like, but it's genetic. So some something must have happened within their family. Um, your thoughts about this story, because it has, you know, a pretty good uh, feel good element to it. I feel for the kids, but uh, shout out to the parents that are doing everything that they can within their means 
to let these kids experience life and, and see different things uh, before they lose sight. I want to get some of your takeaways on that as we sign off here. Yeah, um, it's interesting, you know, to those of you in the audience, I too, this is the first time I'm hearing it. And maybe some of you have read this story. Mike teased this out to me, um, expertly done. You're not telling me what to pay attention to, just that it's Canada, heartwarming with a twist. Um, yeah, I, I have a mix of emotions here. Um, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful send off potentially to the site that they're going to lose. Um, it's an opportunity as a family to, to go on an amazing adventure. It's not, it's not the last time, you know, but, um, you know, hopefully God willing, this continues for them in different ways. Um, you know, there's something about knowing that there's a massive change coming for you that you are able to chart out as the family has done for their children. And then asking yourself, well, what does that mean? You know, knowing that there is going to be this change that you know is coming, what do you do with the time that you have? Um, when we do our send-offs, I'll mention someone that came to mind for me, and I was texting Mike about it on Sunday night, uh, that this reminds me about, like this idea of, you know, knowing something's on its way, and what do you do with the time that you have? And and I'm really just happy for the family, just to recognize that, you know, before this takes place, you know, how do you take advantage the only thing I would offer is, you know, what happens beyond, you know, with your other senses, the ability to continue to travel, take in the world, um, you know, just the the smells and the sounds and everything that you get to experience. Um, but hopefully what, you know, what sensory they take optically over the next year um, resonates with them. And it's, it's the foundation for amazing story that they get to share with one another. Uh, thank you for telling that story, Mike. It's, yeah. Um, it's a, that's, it's, a, it's interesting. that's a powerful blast of, of reality. It, it really is. I think it level sets everything for you, whatever you're going through in your life. Um, I think, and I can only speak for myself, like it makes you reposition it and say, okay, there's somebody out there that's got it a little bit harder, especially, you know, seven and five years old for those kids. The daughter's a little bit older and they're, and they've been bonding obviously through this travel. The couple has been homeschooling their children on the road. They expect to move back to, Quebec uh, and the province next March. But for right now, like I mentioned, they're they're living out there uh, in Indonesia. A uh, really cool story. Check it out on CNN.com backslash travel. Or you can check it out uh, for that uh, Quebec publication that we just aired there. Um, we leave it there. And thank you to everybody that's been listening to the program. <clears throat> you know how we do this all the time. Video, you want to check out the interview with Patrick Svitek. Check out our YouTube channel. Type in Can We Please Talk Podcast. Nick is smashing the subscribe button. Actually, he's not doing anything right now. Well, maybe now he is smashing the subscribe button. Please subscribe to our channel over there on YouTube. Audio podcast platforms, you know them by now, but Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast. Please leave us a five-star view and comment. Please shout out to Acast, our hosting platform. We can't do it without them. We can't do it without our super producer, Tim Meehan. Shout out to him for all of the content he continues to cut for us. And shout out to each and every one of you that continues to click on it, listen to it, watch it, send feedback, good, bad, or indifferent. You know we couldn't do it without you. As always, I'm Mike Leon. Uh, doing this episode in memory of Jonathan Sharks at The Ringer, um, just an amazing writer who recently passed away. Um, like the story Mike had shared, another reminder that tomorrow is not a given. So to all of you listening, watching the show, supporting the show, not liking the show, it's all good. Uh, hey, thank you for paying attention, as always. Um, but take advantage of the time that we have. 
because it truly is not as much as you think it is. I'm Nick Saveri. I have a good one, everybody.